I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is the podcast of a woman named Rad and a man named Paul. Welcome to Game for Anything. Hey, I'm Rad. And I'm Paul. And in this episode of Game for Anything, we take the Mickey out of the mouse, who is out of the house that is owned by Disney. We chat about <laughs> the new film from the director of The Favourite and The Lobster, and look at the Tet best of Tetris. <laughs> God, I love talking about Tetris. Honestly, don't make me pronounce it that way from now on. Look, I think Tetris always made me feel sort of zen, because honestly, it does remind us that uh, if you try too hard to fit in, you will disappear completely. Hey! Hey, did you make that up yourself? I would like to take credit for it, but uh, in all good conscience, I cannot. I did not come up with it myself. Oh, it's just like a internet joke or something. It's just an internet joke, yes. Look, I admire you for not taking credit because I think I would have. No, thank you very much. But something you can take credit for now, Rad... So Mickey Mouse is now public domain. So this happened a few days ago. Technically, it's Steamboat Willie Mickey Mouse, not like the cool modern Mickey Mouse. It's something, though. So the 1928 animated short is now free for public use. So you can do whatever you want with him. You can commercialize Steamboat Willie, essentially, and not have the giant legal hammer of Disney chasing you down. Yes, but you can only use the weird whistling rat captaining a steamboat. You can't use any other variation of the mouse. <laughs> So this means I could start, like, a charter boat business based off that early shitty-looking Mickey. (laughs) And they can't sue us for insulting the design anymore. I feel like this means steamboats will come back into vogue, right? Well, I would have thought so too, but the uses people have been doing with this boat... I mean, I saw a guy post a picture of the Twin Towers with Steamboat Willie coasting towards it going, Disney can't stop me now. It's getting pretty dark, so I don't know if steamboats are going to survive this transition to mainstream popular culture intact, frankly. I like that public domain, instead of it being the space for people to uh, commercialise make a buck based off something really popular you yeah. know how i'm i think lord of the rings is public domain no it's not i don't know i'm just saying that <laughs> it is not <laughs> but i'm thinking like, well i'm just thinking commercializing something based off like a product so like making the swords from the film or whatever instead of people making steamboat rats they're uh making horrid little memes the thing is, public domain, the public, is a bit of a toilet. So let's not trust the public with the stewardship of this iconic character. I'm surprised that Steamboat Willie, aka Mickey Mouse's dad, uh, <laughs> did in fact make it to public domain because Disney have typically been one of the biggest uh, actors against things going into public domain, right? Like they were the reason that copyright periods kept extending because literally because of Steamboat Willie, because of 
Mickey's dad. Yeah, that's right. Mickey's dad has caused a lot of problem in the US courts. So basically, I think the original copyright law was like 35 years, and then Disney and a few other companies, but for the sake of this argument, Disney, have been lobbying them throughout the years by like 20-year extensions. So now it's a 95-year extension, and they've, they're tapped out. They're not allowed any more debt at the tables. And uh, now he's Owls. Now he's Owl Mouse. I feel like they should have gone for the round hungee, but that's okay. That's very frustrating. Yeah. So if you could do anything with the newly freed mouse, what would it be? Here's the problem, Rad. I think the copyright's very specific. I think he has to be whistling, which significantly diminishes your ability to do too much. And I also think maybe he needs to be on a boat. I think he has to be in the context in which you found him. What? Well, he's Steamboat Willie. If you take him off the boat, he's just Willie. But it's just his likeness. Yeah, but it's the, what he's doing that makes him iconic. Also, here's the thing. He has to be extremely differentiated from the existing Mickey Mouse. And the, the easiest way to make him not modern Mickey Mouse is to make him do what Steamboat Willie was doing. So they reckon copyright-wise, you're much safer if he's pretty much doing that thing that he did back in 1928. Which is whistle, uh, drive the boat, and tap his foot. Yeah, and given the era, probably being a little bit racist. <laughs> I think that it's Disney's fault for making another character so closely based on Steamboat Willie, right? Like, right. if they wanted the copyright to be so separate... They should have made a different character. Very true. But what I love, Rad, about that is that they've also... Several other characters have also lapsed. So if you recall recently, Winnie the Pooh entered public domain last year. And I think... I think Tigger is entering public domain later this year. So we're kind of in that golden age where all of the iconic characters that Disney, uh, you know, started off with and adapted are now entering public domain. So they did a horror film called Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey last year. Uh, which wasn't very good, but it was just a bunch of people going, you know what, we can do whatever we want with these beloved characters. So I'm expecting a lot of edgelordy takes before I'm expecting earnest ones. Look, just because we can doesn't mean we should. There's a lesson to be learned from this whistling rat. Uh, actually, after Steamboat Willie tugged and chugged his way into the public domain, I wish I hadn't phrased oh! <laughs> Wish... Well, no. I'm sorry. No. Uh -uh. But they can't stop me. No, that is not the tone. No, that is not the tone of our podcast. You're not doing that again. You get one. Okay, hold on. <laughs> Let me just mark this down on my weird ledger. Done. So, after this story <laughs> came into the public domain last week, another bizarre Disney story went viral. And uh, can I just read from this Wikipedia entry, which was doing the rounds last week? Yes, please. Okay, so it's a Wikipedia entry for a location, Disneyland in brackets, Oklahoma. Disneyland was an amusement park founded by Zachariah Richard in 1987. It got the name after it was discovered that the patent for the real Disneyland park had the name misspelled as Disneyland with two eyes. Zachariah won the legal battle against Disney and the park was open for 35 years. The park was destroyed after the International Space Station fell on it in 2022. And then it's got a photo of this amusement park. <laughs> Do you think that Disney shot down the International Space Station to kill Disneyland <laughs> that Oklahoma? Is, that is precisely what people are suggesting there are like you know epcot's pretty big if you're telling me some <laughs> huge space laser deployed from that weird dome at night i would not be surprised but here's the thing rad people flocked to twitter i refuse to call it x to share their memories of attending this bizarre park this sort of like knockoff amusement park because you know abandoned and shuttered amusement parks are all over the world um in all different countries and they have a very robust cult following online, whether the, I think there's an amusement park in Chernobyl, which people hop on motorbikes and go visit. Problem is, 
patents don't actually cover the naming of theme parks. So Disneyland isn't just the name Disneyland, it's actually a crisscrossing, interlocking grid of overlapping copyrights for things like tech innovations, iconography, concepts, songs, and it's that collective that creates the net that doesn't let people pass through. So that's a problem for this story. Secondly, there's no Zachariah Richard. And thirdly, the double-eyed Disneyland thing, I googled it, it's a plotline from Bojack Horseman. Finally, the International Space Station, which launched in 1989, is still up there. So, long story short, this is an elaborate hoax. That was very confusing from start to finish. Well, yeah, so people have been really thrown. There's literally articles in mainstream news going, hang on, is there an Oklahoma Disneyland? Could this Zachariah Richard have done this thing? The amount of people who got on board and said they swear they remember this happening, I went and looked through these threads, and most of these people seem pretty earnest, so I think... This is what it is. It's a troll working off the back of the Steamboat Willie public domain news combined with the classic vanilla Mandela effect in action. I think that is so terrifying. Like, I know the Mandela effect, you know, uh, false memories and often false group memories is mm. a thing that is very observed, very kind of known, reported on, but it's still always really scary when it happens because how do you invent an entire memory of going to a f***ed up Disneyland. <laughs> How do multiple people do that? Are we truly that suggestive? I don't like that. It's really alarming. So for, for those of you who don't know, back in 2009, there was this woman called Fiona Broom, and she got online and sort of, uh, she shared this thing from her childhood, which is that she could have sworn that Nelson Mandela died in prison in the 1980s. And all these people got online and were like, oh yeah, I remember that too. And it's led to this sort of psychological phenomenon called the Mandela Effect. There are loads of others, uh, people remembering that the Monopoly Man had a monocle, which he didn't, or our theme song as not having me going playing under it, which of course it does. You're a liar and a scoundrel, Paul. But speaking of the Mandela Effect, uh, I do <laughs> want to suggest to you that you go and watch the episode about like memory. I think it's about memory um, in the show How To with John Wilson which is an absolutely fantastic, I'm going to say like, it's slightly satirical documentary making. It's like a bit avant-garde, a bit weird. Um, they are kind of genuine documentaries and he talks to these incredible, interesting people. Americans are so out there. Uh, <laughs> but at the same time, it's like quite tongue in cheek. But uh, he does an episode about memory. I think it's in that one. And he goes to like a convention of, Oh, they're like almost slight conspiracy theorists, but yeah, basically people getting together and, and sharing about these memories that they would swear blind that they have that turn out to be false. So like things like the Monopoly Man's Little Monocle. Almost every fight I get into, Rad, is with people where I swear something happened and they swear it happened differently. That's the cause of so many major disagreements. I swear that when I was a kid, I got an injection in my knee. But you didn't get an injection in your knee? Have you che you've, you've checked with your parents, I assume. Well, I, I asked my parents and they're like, we don't remember that. Also, why would something be injected in your knee? Like, I, I was a kid, obviously, so I wouldn't necessarily have the clearest understanding of everything going on. But yeah. in my memory, it was like a run-of-the-mill vaccination or something like that. It wasn't like to do with my knee having a problem. It was right. just an injection but they did it in my knee and I swear that I had like a little scar on my knee for the longest time as well. And I remember being a kid 
and having a sore knee because of the injection. And I took two of the like cane couches that my parents had and put them uh, end to end so that it yeah. created like a little cot bed. Yeah. And I curled up in there with my sore knee. This is actually super interesting. I've got hundreds of memories like this and I was doing a bit of research, Rad, and they think that the reason the Mandela Effect and memories like this happen is because when you file a memory away, it gets basically put onto a memory engram on a kind of... Imagine a grid, right? Like a shelf with lots of different boxes and memories from far away from lo lo like a long time ago get put in certain subcategories. And if you don't access them for a while and then you go back to access an old memory... If there are adjacent memories which are quite similar, the electrons that fire sometimes mean you get things misfiled. So let's say you had similar memories of like childhood pain and trauma. And what you're saying is, no, you're shaking your head. This happened is what you're saying. This absolutely happened. It's a conspiracy. Your parents are covering up something terrible. I don't think they're covering something up. I think they just don't remember. Ah. I don't think it was a big deal to them, but I remember this happened. Yeah. Because you're on it. I completely agree. I also just think parents aren't paying attention half the time. And I think you are absolutely <laughs> correct. Something happened to your knee. But if anyone actually knows why in God's good grace, uh, they would be <laughs> administering an injection to the knee for a child. I'd love to know. I need some validation on this. Any, uh, any pediatricians able to help us out? Or if the doctor who administered this injection uh, <laughs> is around, please call me. Just a, just a Russian scientist with an eye patch. I think your right leg can kick really hard now. And we, know no, and we now know why. <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, another feat of Russian engineering uh, is the classic game Tetris. <laughs> Which was which was created in 1985 by Alexei Pajanov, a Soviet software engineer. Mm -hmm. And uh, Paul, you have a little something to tell us about this game of games. It is the game of games. It's a bizarre, wonderful game. You all know Tetris. It, I mean, it's look. The screen gradually fills with tetraminos, which are these geometrical shapes you have to fit together seamlessly. And people actually, Rad, I'm not sure if you do this, but people, including myself, uh, regularly use Tetrising to describe the act of sitting boxes on moving day into rows, you know, when you have to kind of fit things together in a kind of elegant way to maximize your space. Although it's very rare upon completing a well-packed row of boxes for them to fucking disappear in real life. That's a Tetris thing. You know, I haven't thought about this before, but it's, it is kind of uh, interesting that we use Tetris or Tetrising to describe that rather than tessellating, which is the I guess, uh, more neutral word to use. Actually, if you go to Aldi in the 80s, you would find the knockoff product, uh, Tessel, which is not nearly as good. Uh, <laughs> the music just doesn't, just doesn't work, it doesn't pop. It, it took a Russian point of view to make the game work. But the actual story here, Rad, is that, I don't know if you played Tetris as a kid, but a 13-year-old player has become the first human to force the original NES version of Tetris into a kill screen, which is basically beating the game. So AI has been able to do this. Uh, but now a human being has done it. A 13-year-old Tetris player called Blue Scooty. That's his uh, gamer handle. And it was a thing of beauty to watch. It was a Scooty beauty. He just, he, 
Absolutely. He absolutely nailed it. Yeah, he played, I think it was almost a 40 minute run of the game. Uh, and there's a video of him doing this up on YouTube. And the moment that he hits that kill screen and beats the game is just pure elation and adrenaline. Uh, and to be clear, the reason that you're able to beat this version of Tetris, this isn't like an every version of Tetris thing, is because the game is so old and was on such limited hardware that mm. the programmers basically didn't think that anyone would get that far. So it would just kind of let the game run, quote unquote, endlessly, um, limited by the programming and hardware of the time. So the game essentially runs out of memory and isn't able to continue, and that's why it crashes. And as to the ecstasy that he showed on camera, whenever I show people who aren't gamers these moments where a streamer or someone achieves something incredible, or whenever it's on the news, Rad, it's only ever shown out of context. You never get that kind of long play where you... You know, that kind of, uh, that, that build-up, that Bolero-style build-up. You don't get the 39 minutes beforehand. Exactly. You don't get the, the thing that the payoff is actually paying off. And as a result... It often looks quite silly, and to that point, uh, on Sky News in the UK, there was a reporter who announced the news and then basically made fun of this kid, saying that as a mother, he should go outside and get some fresh air because, and I quote, beating Tetris isn't a life goal. And first of all, and this is a serious question, Rad, do you think if this kid was a chess prodigy, this reporter would have been so mocking towards him? No! Absolutely not. I think it comes from a deep uh, lack of understanding of the level of achievement that this actually is. Literally, this feat was considered impossible. People yeah. like, this cannot be done. It, this is kind of like running a sub two-hour marathon. It was something that people considered to be unachievable for the longest time. Then someone did it, and then more people started to do it because it kind of like broke this maybe mental barrier that people had. And it's just it, the amount of dedication that it would have taken and also the amount of community behind an achievement yeah. like this. So yeah. the technique that he used uh, was called rolling, I think, which is where you hold the controller and have your finger hovering above the, the keypad and yeah. you drum the bottom of the controller to basically bounce it into your finger to be able to move faster. That is a technique that was only kind of discovered and made popular in about 2021. So there's a whole community of people playing this game, coming up with these techniques, sharing them, and then there's people that take them on and push it to the next level again. So I'm I'm really, ooh, this grinds my gears. I'm really annoyed by that. I'm so cross as well. And the thing is, if you sit there and you say, well, chess and Tetris are very different. Back in the 80s, there was a, I think a Russian uh, computer programmer who started doing this extremely uncool thing at the time. And that was cataloging every single chess play that was being made. Because up to that point, chess geniuses would rock up. And maybe you remembered what plays were made in famous games. Maybe you didn't. But this guy was literally cataloging them. And now there's an algorithm where you can actually watch live chess tournaments and you can see how many times different chess players since the 80s have made those moves. And now the odds of making a move that no one else has made, it's a million to one. The game is... Because now people are actually using these algorithms to teach themselves old games and playing against AI, which are programmed with these games. So it's actually getting harder and harder to beat the AI. And here's a kid beating the AI at Tetris, effectively doing what chess grandmasters are now struggling to do. Okay, to be fair, he didn't beat the AI. He just achieved the same thing as the AI. That's true. But but that's like that's still a huge achievement because we're talking about a program that was developed specifically for this one goal, 
yeah. of beating Tetris. And he's a human child uh, who would, <laughs> I'm sure, do other things as well. At the very least, eat and sleep. To that point, I'd like to address uh, the reporter Jane Secker's point that he needs to get outside and actually do some real stuff. To her assertion that being on the screen and playing video games is not a real life goal, to be fair, um, studies have shown that during COVID, screen time amongst kids did jump a lot. It went up about 17% and it hasn't actually gone down. And there are mental and physical problems that come from spending too much time on the screen. You know, posture problems, chronic pain, circadian rhythms, completely f***ed. But they interviewed uh, this streamer's mum and she said that actually he has lots of other hobbies and the hardest thing for her was going to different vintage stores and tracking down an old school CRTV to actually play the original Tetris, which is the coolest thing a mum has ever done, ever. I think that's so great that she supports that hobby to kind of that uh, really hands-on degree. I think that's really, really yeah. sweet. And I think that, you know a kid being that supported in his talents because this is a huge talent and his dedication is really exciting and i think even if he moves away from the tetris world uh in the future this sounds like a kid that has the the kind of gumption <laughs> to do something really really special in his life and that's that's just cool that's exciting yeah so shut up sky news perhaps he will become an award-winning avant-garde filmmaker just, just like Yorgos Lanthimos, the director of The Lobster and The Favourite, if you are familiar. I've never actually seen one of Yorgos' movies, <laughs> so I am completely at sea. So who is this guy and why is everyone buzzing about him? Paul, you haven't seen The Favourite? No, I haven't seen The Favourite. Okay, like The Lobster is fantastic. I loved it, but mm. you kind of must watch The Favourite. So it's Olivia Coleman, uh, Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz in oh. a kind of love triangle Victorian era it's so fantastic really really well acted but the thing that I love about Yorgos's films the thing that just draws me in is the way that he plays with like lenses and angles and even just like the way he puts text on screen it feels super duper fresh and yet it still always serves the narrative and it's just it's exciting filmmaking Paul it's really exciting filmmaking he also tells stories that are a little bit more interesting, sometimes have almost an element of kind of magic realism in them. Uh, so the film that I want to talk about is brand new. It's called Poor Things. It's also got Emma Stone in it as the lead character. And this is, I'm going to say, probably her best or most interesting or most mature role yet, um, which is easy to do in a Yorgos film, I think, because... He is so kind of out there. She actually won Best Actress at the Golden Globes a couple of days ago for this film, I think. Oh, did she? Well, there you go. Then my assessment is very accurate. <laughs> <laughs> so what is the film actually about? I mean, we've established that he's got a really distinct style and that Emma Stone's driving it. But what is Poor Things about? It's based on a 1992 novel by Alastair Gray. And I'm not going to tell you too much because I think going on the journey of this film is part of what makes it so magical. Uh, so I will say... Emma Stone is there. She's a little bit strange. Willem Dafoe is there. He's also strange. <laughs> he seems to be her father-like figure. Huh. He's a surgeon. He gets another surgeon from like his hospital or whatever to quote, like track her progress. And that's sort of maybe the first 15 minutes of the film. 
it sounds like you're describing a gender flip Pinocchio, but I think what I'm getting here is it's sort of a strange fairy tale esque story with Emma Stone swanning about. I mean, if, I've not seen the trailers. I, I get that it's meant to have a distinct visual style, but uh, I have heard that his previous films are a little bit dark. Does this sit in that range, or is this kind of a lighter, frothier? It's very, very dark comedy. Like, they are very funny films. Uh, This one was written by Tony McNamara, who also wrote The Favourite and The Great. Uh, So that also gives you a bit of a sense, yeah, of the wittiness and kind of sharp comedy, but also real darkness uh, that goes into some of this. So there are some lines that kind of make you gasp, but also laugh at the same time. It is a mature film. There are willies. (laughs) Not steamboat or otherwise. <laughs> no, there's there's human man willies, not mouse willies. So there is there is nudity and adult themes and violence within the film, but it doesn't feel like it has those kind of elements as just shock factor. It's mm. all woven into this really beautifully crafted and also thought provoking to me anyway film. To me, it looks at the assumptions that we have as to how we should conduct ourselves, um, also morality, also kind of concepts of love and living and kind of getting the most out of life and life and death and just all of these things packaged up into this really interesting, strange filmic experience. I was at a party the other day and somebody said, have you seen Poor Things? It is horny, strange and beautiful. And those were the three words that were used the most regularly and everybody told me i have to go see it so i think that's a that's a ringing endorsement i will absolutely go and see poor things yeah i'm really like delighted that i saw it because uh i'm i'm familiar as i've said with the lobster and the favorite i absolutely adored those films i wasn't actually aware of poor things or intending to go see it i basically was like gonna be in town and needed to kill some time. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll go see a movie. And just sort of scrolled through on like the Dendi website to see what was showing, clicked the trailer, again, completely unaware of anything about it, Mm -hmm. came up with from the director of The Lobster and the Favourite, and I'm like, done, I'm watching that one. I closed the trailer and I just bought tickets. I absolutely love and wholeheartedly endorse the practice of going to see films you know nothing about. I mean, it cannot be stressed just how much of the plot even you avoiding giving a one-line explanation of the premise, I had Saltburn ruined for me recently by somebody who summed it up in one sentence, and I went, well, now I know the film. You've given me the reveal, you've boiled away any surprises I might have, and trailers are made to maximise traffic, so they're just going to show you as much as they can. If you go back and watch trailers from, like, the 90s, they tell you shit all. They're just, like, little flashes and scenes to give you a vibe of the film rather than telling you the story, and that... I really love, like, my favorite way to go and see a movie is literally just someone saying it's good and this is the genre. Yes, absolutely. So I used to um, work with Margaret Pomerantz a bit and she said the best thing you can do is just li- find someone you respect, whose opinions you respect, and have them, just ask them what they're into at the moment and they'll go, you should check this out. You should go to this restaurant. You need to listen to this album. Don't do anything else. Don't look into it. Just just go. And I think that is such a healthy way to keep your brain completely open to every single because the more you, the more you expose yourself to uh, what's going to happen in the game, film, book, album, whatever, 
the more you sand off that initial hit that you get from it, you know, like that first experience, that first moment you get a completely undiluted experience is a, it's a treat. Oh my God, Paul, did I ever tell you about my experience reading Twilight for the first time? <laughs> what? No, you didn't. <laughs> and you're going to have to now. What happened? I found it so frustrating and like, and slow because I knew that he was Edward Cullen, spoiler alert, I knew that he was a vampire. Yeah. And I was waiting for the reveal of him being a vampire, which doesn't happen until maybe like halfway or two thirds into the book. And the whole time I'm like, please just say it, say it, <laughs> say he's a vampire. So he's, he's like, in that case, the reveal is the actual reason to hang around. I mean, look, comparing Yorgos's films and uh, the works of Stephanie Meyer is a, <laughs> it's a, it's a stretch. I've committed sins on this podcast, yes. I think there are ways to do things correctly. We're not saying that there's a wrong way to watch films. We're just saying that there's a right way to watch films. <laughs> just going in cold as you can. Well, that's something I love about making this podcast that, uh, you know, we hope that you get to know us and maybe trust us and figure out whether or not your tastes align with mine or with Paul's. And then we just get to share cool stuff that, you know, we're enjoying. So if you do, I actually, I had someone message me on Instagram the other day saying something like, oh, you were like spot on with the 90s club bangers. I love this album referring to last episode where we gave our albums of the year and I talked about uh, Romy's album Midair. So it's just, yeah, it's really cool uh, that someone went and listened to it and enjoyed it as well. And so that's why we do it. I don't know why I'm saying this. I don't know why I'm breaking the fourth wall right now, but here we are. It is absolutely, we, we're trying to be people whose taste you enjoy and trust. And if you do that, that's great. But look, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Game for Anything. And given the new public domain thing, I think it's fairly safe to say, ho oh, ho, thank you for listening, kids. Late stage capitalism will kill us all. You're actually not allowed to do that because as aforementioned, you have to be whistling. Steamboat Willie was whistling. He didn't talk. Oh, I'm sorry, sorry. I meant to say... Thank you for listening, kids. Late stage capitalism will kill us all. <laughs> <laughs>